The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Clean Coders and its employees. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Clean Coders podcast. We're back again with Uncle Bob, Robert C. Martin. Bob, do you want to say hi? Hi. So, so what's new with Bob? Not an awful lot. You know, COVID kind of slows everything down. Have yep. been uh, able to fly and see some of my kids in various parts of the country, so that's good. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just kind of cooling my heels, a little writing here and there, and a little bit of uh, Zooming. A lot of Zooming, right? Everybody wants yep. a Zoom meeting nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I really miss meeting people in person. I do too. I'm going to go out and fly out to Hillsdale College tomorrow and have my oh, nice. first in-person meeting uh, since March. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah, remind me where Hillsdale College is. It's um, a little bit uh, west of Detroit. I hear they have a really terrific core, course on the U.S. Constitution, and that's about I, the extent of what I've heard. Okay, well, I've heard the same thing. Yeah, it seems to be a uh, a pretty nice school. They don't take federal money, so they're not encumbered in that sense. I'm going to go out and talk to some of their students and some of their faculty and also the programming team that supports their uh, their IT in uh, infrastructure. Very cool. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Well, let's let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. Now, we were chatting a little bit before about what to talk about, and uh, you mentioned TDD and the kind of the processes that people go through with that. And uh, I just joined a new team at a new company, and... I'm trying to start to push them to do TDD. You know, there's a lot of momentum writing tests, but the tests usually get written after the fact. So why don't we start talking about just testing in general, you know, why that's sure. important. And then we can move into why TDD as opposed to what writing tests after the fact. I, I don't know if there's an acronym for that. Yeah. Test after, after tests, you know. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Not, not TDD. <laughs> well, you know. But yeah, uh, it's funny because it seems like half the time when I'm talking to people about TDD, it really just comes up, well, our code works good enough and we don't need tests. Yeah, well, that's that's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us how you really feel, Bob. <laughs> yeah, our code works well enough. Yeah, okay, let me show, let me see your bug list. You got a, got a bug list? Got a, what, do, what do people put their bugs in nowadays? Yeah. You know, yeah, Jira got bugs. a Jira list, huh? Yeah. Like that. How long is it? How many, how many bugs in there? And most of the places I've been to have, you know, lists of hundreds, if not thousands of bugs. I don't think they yeah. should have that many. <laughs> That's fair. Have, I think you'd have a couple. You know, maybe yeah. a, an index card worth of bugs that you just happen to find by accident and they're really bizarre and obscure. Oh, yeah. Those are the fun ones, the bizarre and obscure ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah. you know, my 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 thing there is is that if you're going to write code, if you're going to take the responsibility to write code, you also ought to take the responsibility to make sure that code works, and not in some kind of haphazard way, you know, not by 
testing it by hand and you know, yeah, it sort of works here and it sort of works there. I mean, literally testing every line of code you write. Mm -hmm. And that means you're going to have to write decent tests. People call them unit tests. That's a bad word. Nobody knows what the word unit means. I just <laughs> test, right? Just test. But you write tests yeah. and you make sure that Every if statement is followed properly. Every while loop terminates properly. You know, every every statement gets executed properly. You uh, test all of that stuff. You you can't test all the pathways, all the different pathways, but you can test every line and every branch, and that's mm -hmm. that's well within the the uh, the realm of possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have my own opinions on this, but I want to hear your take on. Okay. So you test it. What 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 do the tests give you, right? What do the tests help you with, you know, beyond oh, avoiding bugs? Heavens, the, the the purpose behind that suite of tests is to allow you to change the code. So yeah. you know what nobody writes code well. Nobody, right? Because it, it's hard enough to get the code to work. And so you sit there and you fiddle with it and you fiddle with it and you try and get it to work and you try this and you try that and all of a sudden it works and you're like, oh my God, okay, don't anybody breathe. I got to check this thing in. And what's happened is that you've created a mess and you uh -huh. are unable to clean that mess because you're too afraid to touch it. You won't touch it after that. It's like, oh my God, it works. All right. Now, now I, now I got to check it in and go do something else. A lot of people will bring code up on their screen and, and they'll look at that code and go, oh my God, this is a mess. This is terrible code. And, and maybe the thought will occur to them that they ought to clean it, but that thought will be driven right out of their mind by the fear of what will happen if they break that code. And they know they're going to break the code <laughs> if they touch yep. it. So, so they walk away, they don't touch the code, they don't clean it, and the code rots. The reason we write tests is to keep the code from rotting so that it so that it is safe to do the one thing that will keep the code in a reasonable shape which of course is to clean it so that's why i write tests i write tests so that i can keep that code under control long term otherwise it's going to rot on me and and turn into a nightmare and by rot uh, in my experience at least it's somebody else will go in and change something out from under the assumptions I made when I wrote the code, and then it's going to wind up breaking. And they have to do it in the least intrusive way possible because they have no mm -hmm. tests. So they're scared to death of whatever they're going to do. <laughs> and so they, they, they choose the option that has the least risk to them, which is almost always the wrong option, right? So the, the tests allow you to keep the code clean and well-structured and well-organized and to migrate the design as the design needs to be migrated. When new features come along, you want the design to slightly change. And if you have the tests, you are free to do that. You're not going to break anything because you have a suite of tests that'll tell you if you've broken anything. And, and in order for that to work, those tests have got to be solid. They've got to be really good tests. Because you have to trust them. It's like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. You, know, you, you want to make sure that parachute was really packed very well. Yep, absolutely. And what's funny is, is that not just on the code that I'm writing do I write tests, but sometimes there will be code adjacent to what I'm writing or modifying or the code that I am modifying and it doesn't have a test on it. And I'll write a test for it. And well, the yeah. reason is <laughs> I want to know what it's doing before I change it, right? Yes, and you want to make sure you don't change what it's doing when you change yeah. the code next to it. And so, yeah, I mean, th this is what I tell people too. And it's because sometimes, um, you know, 
people on one of the teams because there are two or three teams that are working on the the code base that I'm working on at work. And yeah, that's the thing is, I'm like, there, there's no test here, guys. <laughs> All right. How are you going to yeah, keep no. control over that? Yeah. How, how do right. I know what it's supposed to do? Oh, Chuck, Chuck. It does, it does X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, well, what about this edge case? I don't remember. Well, what about <laughs> this other edge case? Uh, right. <laughs> and so, and so I go in and I test that edge case. Right. And it's, it's, Okay, I know what it does on this edge case. Now, whether or not that's correct is a different thing, but at least I know I didn't change it, right? Yes. yes. And, and the next time someone asks, you know, what does it do in this edge case? At least you know. Yeah, there's <laughs> right? a test. And there's a test. Yeah, exactly. There's a test that tells you, okay, is yeah. that right? Well, that's what yeah. it does. I mean, half, half the problem with code is just knowing what it does. Yep. <laughs> and the test well, do that. Well, the other thing is, is that I've also heard people say, well, why not just document the code? Oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, it works when you write it. Right. Lots of comments. Absolutely. Yeah. And then and then somebody else comes along and <laughs> they ignore the comments and change the code. <laughs> of course, because the comments are written in one place and the yeah. code is somewhere else. And someone will change the, the somewhere else without knowing the comment exists. And now the comments yeah. wrong. Comments turn into lies. It's so true. The way, and, of- and the other thing is, is that, uh, in my experience at least, the code changes about five minutes after the documentation's written. Of course, it does. <laughs> I mean, people are like, "Well, you know, if if it doesn't change very often, I'm like, if you're working on it, then yeah." And when you think you're you're done with it, that just means that somebody else is going to come along from the business side of things and say, "Actually, yeah." We wrote it that way in the spec because we didn't want to piss off these guys over here, but it's not really what we meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or or they'll look at it and say a couple of times. Yeah. We had uh, yeah, to write but, the spec this way, but for political reasons. But uh, yeah, this is what really has to happen. Yeah, I haven't run into that at this job, but <laughs> I have run into a couple of places where it was oh, well, from our discussion, I could see how you could reasonably come to that conclusion. (laughs) But it's wrong. (laughs) Right? Yes. Yeah, well, comments are written in human languages, which are designed to be ambiguous. And code is not ambiguous. No, it's not allowed to be. No. It's in a formal language. It means what it says, and it says what it means. So, yeah, so you get the tests around it. I guess this is another thing that I run into with some of the folks that I work with is with the tests... I mean, how thorough do you have to be? Do you have to test every little edge case? Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to test everything. If you want a test suite that you trust, but trust enough so that you can keep the code clean, that you're not afraid to fiddle with the code, then um, then you have to test every little edge case. You got to test everything. And yeah. that, it's really hard to do that after the fact. It's really yeah, hard it to write a whole bunch of code and then write all the tests. And it's hard for a bunch of reasons. One is it's just hard to enumerate all the edge cases. But then there's another reason why it's hard to test, which is that it wasn't written to be testable. You wrote uh-huh. this thing and you were <laughs> thinking about testing at the time. And then all of a sudden you, you, you wanna write tests and it's like, oh, I, how do I test this thing? It's buried in the middle and there's no way for me to get at it. And, and if I call that function, it turns on the X-ray machine and I don't wanna turn on the X-ray machine. So I guess I'll just test that one manually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, manual testing. That takes me way back. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, that was my job before I did, before I got my first coding job is I did manual QA. Yeah. And I begged them to let me script it. And they told me no. Bunch of no, stuff. of course not. Why would why would we want that automated? <laughs> I don't know, so that I can do other things that are more valuable. Anyway, what? why would we want a reliable, repeatable machine to do something that has to be reliably repeated? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's use so, an unreliable machine, like a human being, to do something yeah. over and over and over again. <laughs> well, and you know what the result is, right? So every time I would work through the test suite, I would add stuff that I had to work through to it. And so inevitably what wound up happening was, and, and, and honestly, I'm convinced that it was because we were doing manual testing and there was no way around it. I would find new bugs every time I ran through the test suite. Of course you would. Some of them probably existed beforehand. And the reason is, is that, oh, well, now that I'm doing this, what if I do this other insane thing? Ah, yes. Yeah, you were exploratory so, testing. You weren't following the script. Well, I was writing the script. So yeah, you were writing the script. But but yeah, so essentially what wound up happening was is we held up the release for I think six or nine months. <laughs> and my boss came to me and said, Why do you keep holding this up? And I'm like, I'm not writing these bugs. Those guys are writing these bugs. Well, quit finding <laughs> why do no, you because he's because he's getting crap up? from his boss. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> It's it's really, really funny. But yeah, so so we have a test suite that we can run, that we can reliably, you know, test the this suite. So why TDD? Because I talk to some people and they're like, you write the test before the code? How do you even know what to test? This sounds nuts. It does sound nuts, doesn't it? So well, the, the reason why is that it's the only reliable way I know of to get a, a, a high coverage test suite. You know, it's that edge case problem again. If you write the code, if you write the code first and then write the test after the fact, it's hard to write all the tests that will cover it. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, you say to yourself, I'm not writing a line of production code until I've got a failing test, it's suddenly impossible not to cover the code with tests, right? You will cover the entire body of code with tests if you follow that simple rule. Now, like you said, it sounds kind of wacko. What the heck are you supposed to test if there's no code to test? But you know what you want to write. You know the code you want to write. So you just write the test that forces you to write the code mm-hmm. you already know you want to write. It's not that hard. Yep. And it's and it's not slow and it doesn't get in the way. Right. It's a it's a, a very uh, it's a very peaceful way of writing code. Right. Because you yep. write a little test and it fails, and you write a little code and it makes it pass, and you go oh. I made it pass. I'm a programmer. I remember what that's like making things work. <laughs> I'll write another one. Oh, it fails. What I expect it to fail. I'll write another little, little, oh, now that makes it pass. And you get this, um, this repeated assurance <laughs> that you're still a programmer. You still know yeah. how to make things pass. You also have an, a, 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 a constantly moving bookmark. So you're writing test, make it pass, then you make it fail. Then the next one, fail and pass, and then fail and then pass. And then the phone rings. And yes, you have to bring home bread. Okay, I'll bring home bread. Now, where the hell was I? And there's that failing test sitting there. Right? And you know exactly. Yep. Right? So you've got this moving bookmark that keeps you anchored. And you've got this stream of tests that's going to test everything. And, and when you've done 
you know, a couple of days of test-driven development on on a, on a problem, and you check the whole thing in finally, you know that test suite covers everything, right? Because yep. every bit of code you wrote in the production on the production side, you wrote in order to make some failing test pass. So you have a real high degree of confidence in that test suite. I, I, I can't I can't imagine another way to do it that would give you as high test coverage. Now, Kent Beck's had an idea recently. I don't know if you've been tracking that. And it's, yeah, uh, it's called, uh, what's it called? It's called um, uh, something test. Something revert. Yeah, that's it. Something, something test submit revert or something like that. And this is where you do write the test after the fact. You write a little bit of code and then you write a little test. And if the test fails, it automatically reverts the code and and deletes your production code. <laughs> it doesn't get reset hard. <laughs> yep. And so you're yeah. very test and commit or revert. Test test and commit or revert. Yeah. TCR. And so in that mode, you are very very careful. You write tiny little bits of production code, very tiny little bit of a test. You run it, and you kind of cross your fingers and hope you don't get reverted. Hmm. Now that's clever. I think it ends in the same place. You get a really good test suite. I'd prefer to write the test first, though. I think that's a better better option. Just yeah. me. Well, the thing is, is that ultimately what I find matters is the output, you know, which is the code and whether or not it works. And so if you find that TCR is working for you to get you the results, then great. But yeah, yeah TDD is what's been proven for me. Yeah, and me too. It's I've tried the TCR thing. It, it's fun. because I haven't tried like it. It sounds it. like a game. <laughs> okay, but... but <laughs> I, I'll go back to the to the TDD approach. That's at least you can recover. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because I've talked to people like Corey Haynes and a few other folks that, you know, they do TDD on pretty much everything they work on. Yeah. And I think Corey told me once that he actually goes through and like once a year, he'll pick up a new project and he'll write it without doing TDD. He'll just write, he'll just write the code. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I've been doing this so long that now it just kind of factors itself so that it's, you know, if I have to go back and write tests, it's like the tests were there, right? But yeah, but, the, the confidence as it gets complicated, it's, it's not there, so. Yeah, there's been moments when that's happened to me too, where I've, I've got some dumb little thing I need to write. I know it's not going to last. I'm going to throw it away. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's the, the, the purpose is to make the screen do something interesting. There's not a lot of processing behind it. Uh -huh. And so the, the test is just looking at the screen. So I, I'm in the same loop, the same test-driven loop, right? Except right. that I write the code and then I look at the screen and then I fiddle with it and fiddle with it. And then, yeah, the screen's not right and fiddle until it's right. right. So it feels the same, but I'm not writing any tests. And then I throw that code away. I do right. that. I've done that maybe a couple of times over the last few years. So I guess the other question is, and, and I've had enough conversations with people to where I, I've heard some of these answers, but I'm always interested to see where you take this. So how does TDD apply to maintenance, right? So let's say you find a bug in the code that for whatever reason you didn't get covered with your tests, right? How, how do you TDD that? Well, the, the canonical way to do that, the way they tell you to do it, is to write a test that fails because of the bug and then change the code so that that test passes and that should fix the bug. That's mm -hmm. 
That's the way they tell you to do it. Now, is that what I do? I'm usually when you've got a (laughs) weird bug, you really don't know how to fix it. Right. And so you're looking at it and you try this and it didn't fix it. You try that. And it'd be nice to have a test, but sometimes you don't even know how to write the test because you don't really know what the bug is. Right. You know, there's some output that's wrong, but you don't know where it's going wrong in the pathway. And so I fall back most of the time on more traditional debugging techniques. I find the bug. Once I've got it, once I know where the bug is and I can see it, then I can write the test and then I can make it pass. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at cleancoderspodcast.com slash Raygun. So some of the instrumenting and, you know, figuring out where things exist, that's mostly just done, yeah, just to figure out where the problem is. But yeah, then when, once you've identified the area you want, then you go put the test on that. Now, if you got a wad of legacy code that has no tests, then it's a whole <laughs> different problem. <laughs> then it's an entirely different problem. Because just to write the test for the bug, you've probably got to decouple a bunch of things and change some yeah. interfaces around. And so that's a much bigger problem. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, the project I'm working on, we have a legacy system that we're rewriting into a new technology. And the new system has tests. Good. And the and the old system does not. <laughs> and sometimes we're still reliant on the old system for some things. We have to go fix stuff over there. And it's just like, oh my goodness, right? Because <laughs> we can't count on anything there. Is this a translation? Are you are you you know module by module translating the code from one format to another? Not. It's more feature by feature than module by module. There are parallels between the two systems because one is Groovy on Grails and the other is Ruby on Rails, and so some of the construction is similar. But yeah, we've you know it's okay. We need this feature moved over. Okay, now we need this feature moved over. Okay, but we're kind of at that critical phase where the system is actually delivering the value that because all that happens at once all the all this value is delivered at once for the company and so yeah we're in the middle of basically just holding on to our rear ends <laughs> while we coast through the rest of this over the next few weeks and then we can actually start moving more stuff over again and so it's oh we need to fix this in the legacy system now we need to fix this in the new system because they're they run together at the moment 
they're running together and what are you gradually moving from one to the next shifting yeah. functionality over yeah reasonable way to do it is it grails to rails or rails to grails grails to rails grails to rails okay all right probably the so, right thing to do anyway it's it's been an interesting project to be involved in one other thing i wanted to talk about briefly with tdd is once you have a test suite that you can run on your own machine are there certain next steps that you should be taking, like setting up continuous integration, continuous deployment, training people to run the tests on their own machines? I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff, yeah, it's, you know, I can run the test and prove that it does what it's supposed to, but yeah, now what, right? How do I get the most value out of that? Well, so yeah, once, once you have a test suite, then there's a whole bunch of interesting things you can do with it. And the most common thing that people have done for the last 20 years is to hook it up to the um, to a continuous build system that gets mm -hmm. kicked off when you do a check-in or something like that. And, right. And it runs all the tests and then sends email to everybody and says, you know, Bob broke the build. That's a, that's a really reasonable thing to do, right? That means that the, the tests will run every time you check in code and mm -hmm. give a report to everybody about what happened. That's a very good thing to do. And there's a lot of tools that help you with that kind of thing. I don't I don't even remember what all of them are now. Oh, there's a zillion of them now. There's a zillion of them, yeah. I remember when the very first one came out, it was written by ThoughtWorks. Cruise Control, they called it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was impossible to set up, but once it was set up, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I've used Cruise Control. I've used about a dozen other ones too. So, So what do you do with an app that's all legacy code, right? There's no there's no testing around it, right? To start doing TDD, do you just write the test for the next thing you're working on? And then well, how do you get that to cover other legacy code? It's very hard. And this, this is the problem that everybody has because everybody's got a big wad of legacy code that they're working on. It's a very hard problem to solve. The temptation is to um, try and set aside some big block of time mm -hmm. to write tests for the whole system. And, and oh, it's yeah. a failing approach. It's not going to work. Uh, you don't want to go down the, you know, the the test project pathway because you'll you'll never get it finished. You'll probably do more damage than good. So the way I tell people to do this is to a expect it to take a long time, months if not years. Nothing is going to happen fast. Get Michael Feather's book, Working Effectively with Legacy Code, and read it and, and prepare to be depressed by that book because it's a very <laughs> depressing book. Make sure that you know that not, nothing's going to happen fast. And then adopt an attitude. And, and this is hard. You've got to get the whole team on board, right? The whole mm -hmm. team has to adopt this attitude. And, and the attitude is that every time you check the code in, you check it in a little better than you checked it out. The Boy Scout principle, right? You leave the campground cleaner than you found it. You check the code in cleaner than you checked it, checked it out. And if everybody did that, then the code would get a little better and a little better and a little better with time. And it might get better enough that the next time you were in the code, you could see a way to add a test. Early on, you might not even see one of those ways, but eventually you might see a way to add a test and then you'll add a test and another test and another test and other people will add tests and bit by bit, you get this runaway snowball effect, right? It gets easier and easier because mm -hmm. there are more and more tests. This is hard. It's, it's full of roadblocks and things go wrong, but if you stick with it, 
you can make some progress. There is a whole bunch of code in the legacy system that will never change. And, and you, won't, you won't try to change it. You, you won't even check it out because it's been that way for years. Nobody's touched it for years. It works. That code's not going to get clean. But the code that you are constantly fiddling with, the code that you have to go into to fix bugs and add features, that's the code that'll get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner with time if you can follow that simple rule. And eventually, mm -hmm. you will get enough tests that you'll think, I could refactor some of this stuff. I've got enough confidence now that I can change, change some of the designs and start to clean it up. And you might just find that you've got areas of the old legacy that you've never touched that are completely surrounded by areas of the legacy that you've improved. And then you might go in there and think, well, I could rework this. I could redesign this whole thing because I've got tests surrounding the whole thing. You might, that might happen. The, the end result is that you're going to have legacy code for a really long time, but it, it can get better. <laughs> now, the next time <laughs> you write anything, don't let it go legacy like that. You know, make sure yep. you've got tests everywhere. <clears throat> then you can keep control of it. Right. What if you can't get your team on board? Because I've seen this too, right? Where somebody goes to a conference, they wind up sitting with somebody, uh, they get sold on the idea of TDD, they go back to their team, they're like, hey, look, let's do this, or even let's just write tests. And then they run into some kind of resistance, right? Where it's, well, we've never done that before. And that ah, sounds hard. You know, how do you start getting that kind of adoption? Or is it just, I, I don't know. I've seen some people really struggle with this. I've seen people struggle with this as well. If, if, you've, if you're just one of the guys on the team and you've gotten back from a conference and you're all turned on because you think, oh, this, this is the best thing from, since sliced bread. And then you try and tell your team about it. Not a lot of the team members are going to be real excited. You might get one or two, but mm -hmm. most everybody else is going to go, you know, I'm not doing that. That's nonsense. Forget it. That was my reaction at first. When I heard about test, test first design in, in 1999, I thought it was a dumb idea, but it, it, I saw it work and that changed my mind. And, and that's part of the key. If you can see it work, if you can show it working, you'll get a few more converts. Mm -hmm. You won't get them all. You're not going to get them all. There's going to be guys in there that say, nope, not doing it. Sorry. And then you got a problem because now you've got members on the team that have divergent value sets mm -hmm. and that's unstable. It can't last. So that team will tear itself apart slowly. Hopefully people will migrate away from the team and they will try and migrate towards a, a team that has their own value set mm -hmm. and hope that your team is the one with the test driven value set. It concentrates that those people. If you're the leader of the team, things are a little different because you can set right. the expectation. And, and the expectation to set might not be, might not be to do test driven development. It might be to produce a test suite that covers everything. And, you know, make and and you run coverage tools and you monitor it and you make sure that it's it's covering everything and you don't tolerate the 80% numbers well you know 80% of the code is covered no not good <laughs> got to be really high 90s guys got to be really high yeah. 90s and you kind of hope that they'll work out for themselves that the only way to do that is to write the test first <laughs> right that makes sense so i guess the other question in this is because sometimes I hear people say, well, don't test this stuff, right? 
or this stuff is harder to test or, you know, the, yeah, some version of that, right? Where it's don't test the the one-off tasks or don't test the, you know, like in Rails, don't test your, don't test your rake tasks. You, know, you can put all the code in some other structure you can test, but don't test your rake tasks. Well, what's your take on all that stuff? Because it's still code. Yeah, it's still code. There, and, and there are things that don't need direct tests. You know, so simple things like accessors and mutators. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't need to write a test for accessors and mutators because you're going to be testing code that calls those accessors and mutators. So right. it will get tested. So you don't want to go crazy and test every stupid little function. You, what you want to do is test the functions that are going to call all the other functions so that you right. eventually have everything tested. There are areas of the code that are hard to test. Um, anything that touches the screen, anything that deals with the GUI, it's going to be hard to test. And you know, the about the only way you can really test that code is to put a camera in front of the screen and mm-hmm. try and interpret the bits that the camera sees, which is not a, a very good approach. So when I'm in that situation, if I've got a whole bunch of GUI stuff, then I don't write tests for that that last little little sliver of GUI stuff. I can't because right. I can't, can't see that. But I pull all the intelligence out of that and I test the next module in that has all the intelligence. Mm-hmm. And then that module hands a data structure, a raw data structure to the GUI module. And the GUI module is just stupid. All it does is copy stuff into the screen. That's the way I deal with that. That's a a pattern called the humble object pattern. And, and it it works pretty well. Anytime you get close to the boundary of a system and you're about to leave the system and go into the real world, it's hard to test that. And so you make right. those, those layers of code really thin and really stupid so that you can afford not to test them. The GUI, you're kind of fortunate. You can test that with your eyes. Other things are harder to test. Sockets are harder to test. You know, network protocols are harder to test. Bits of hardware are harder to test unless you can write some code on the other side. I, I think you just solved one of the issues that I've been fighting at work. I don't know if I can go into the details without talking about stuff that I oughtn't, but yeah, I, I like that. And and it's it's a command line issue, really. And it's testing, this thing gets printed to the command line, but it's parallelized and it just acts funny and intermittently fails. And so, yeah, I like the idea of, hey, have the object return standard out, standard error, standard, you know, and then effectively that's, yeah, you can test that. Okay, yeah. this is the stuff that should be printed, right? Yeah, right. And so yeah, I, I'm digging that. Probably wind up working on that this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. The other question I have regarding this, and then we'll wrap up because I think we're getting toward the end of our time, but I, I've heard people talk about BDD and I've done plenty of you know behavior-driven development. Sure. How is, how is behavior-driven development different from test-driven development? The first answer to that is that it's not. Behavior-driven development was invented by Dan North, and it was an attempt to make test-driven development a little more palatable to, um, I didn't even want to say business people, just a little bit better vocabulary. So he changed the the um, the very code-like uh, test structure to uh, a set of statements given when and then. And there's a whole bunch of people that collaborated on that. I think he started with given and then, and then somebody else said when, and I uh-huh. don't know. That was, it was fundamentally at first a vocabulary change. And he, he presented that to the test-driven world and the test-driven world went, 
yeah, sure, you know, that's cool. And we like that. And we like our tests the way they were written too. And, and then he started down this pathway that suggested that when you use these given when then triplets, these testing triplets, what you were really writing is the specification for the system, which, which of course we knew the tests are the specification. But then he took it further. He said, well, maybe they don't need to be executed. Maybe the value is just in writing these scenarios, these given when then scenarios, and they're not really tests at all. They don't actually get executed. They're just a way for the business people to express their intent. And that's the direction that BDD has gone in that funny direction. Now, most of the people involved with BDD still believe in automated testing, but they've uh -huh. been focusing on this area where the automated tests are, are secondary. It's really yeah. the specification language. At least that's the last time, I, you know, several years ago when I was talking to BDD people, that's where they were. I don't know where they are now. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember there was this huge craze around like cucumber and similar tools. Yeah. And then, and, and those would actually translate your given when then into execute this, execute that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then yeah. people started finding some major pain points with that. And it, it kind of <laughs> moved along from that. Right. And so, yeah, now you can say given when then means, you know, do this setup, run this and then do the teardown. But it's not the, the problems with given when then mostly just translated to, I have to write this really, ugly, horrendous, regular expression to pull the information out that I needed well, that, to automate the tests, right? That was the cucumber thing, right? Cucumber yes. depended on these regular expression matchers. And, and one of the things we've learned over the years is that trying to write a parser using a regular expression matcher is generally a bad idea. Yes. I don't know if the tools have gotten better. I don't know either. About that matching, you know, but that that is true. The The BDD people just took that further and said, well, uh -huh. we, don't, we don't need to write those regular expressions yep. because we're not even going to automate these tests. <laughs> we're, right. we're just going to write them. And then we're going to write them at a higher abstract level. So, you know, given that I am an officer, when I want to write a ticket, then I pull out my pad. That kind of yep. thing. Without any real connection to a, a testable mm -hmm. feature. Yeah, and that makes sense. But it does provide that language too, where it's, yeah, this is this is the behavior given certain actions and given certain conditions. So, yeah. Yep, makes sense. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Cool. So um, I have to ask, yeah, what are you working on these days? It's it's always interesting to hear what I'm Uncle in the Bob is working on. Uh -huh. I'm in the middle of a book right now. It's and the working title is Clean Craftsmanship, although I'm thinking maybe I should call it the Clean Craft or something. But it's uh -huh. a book about test driven development and refactoring and the 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 inner core disciplines of agile and extreme programming. You know the the red right. circle in the circle of life, Ron Jeffrey's old circle of life. So. It's about test driven development, refactoring, simple design, and and pairing, and things like that. Uh, and I should be done with that book pretty soon. Well, pretty soon by some definition of pretty and some other definition. <laughs> and then um, um, after that, I've got another book I want to write, which I think will be about professionalism. 
And then I'm toying with maybe writing a book about closure. There's a lot of books about closure, mm-hmm. but toying about writing a book about closure. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. So I was going to ask, you know, how pretty soon are we going to be able to actually go and devour this book? So yeah, it, it, sound, it sounds like it's undefined. Yeah, pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually very far into it. Uh, I've only got a few more chapters to write. The COVID thing just makes things really hard. It interferes yeah. with an awful lot of stuff. So we'll see. Sounds good. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it. This has been a lot of fun, Bob. <laughs> it's always fun to talk. <laughs> yep. Always, always. Yeah. Let's go ahead and wrap up here. And yeah, we'll just talk again in a month or so. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.